Hi, Juliet here with a quick message before this episode starts. Everything you need to be more strategic amid the busyness of the school term is contained in the 170 plus episodes of this podcast. But sometimes you can get there a bit faster with some personalised help. I host a termly online workshop specifically designed to help the support staff within schools to make the shift from being reactive to strategic. Our next workshop is coming up soon and we're going to be reflecting on how things have gone this academic year and strategising for the academic year to come so that you can confidently prioritise your workload, overcome the obstacles that are holding you back and redirect your time and focus onto your priorities. At the end of the session, I promise you're going to be feeling more energised, ready to hit the ground running with a clear plan of action. This term's workshop is going to be run on Thursday the 16th of May, and you can find out more and book your place at www.consultjuliet.co.uk slash plan. I hope to see you there. Now, let's launch into this episode. We're here to make a difference. That's why we're here. And so knowing that not only are our, the teachers within our school communities making that difference to those young people, but within the fundraising, within the leadership of our schools, we are constantly here to make a difference. Welcome to the Independent School Podcast. Thinking and acting strategically is the key to both securing the future of your school and helping to build a more equal and just world. My name's Juliet Corbett. I'm a consultant, speaker and facilitator specialising in helping independent schools. In this podcast, I translate tried and tested strategy and fundraising techniques into a language that works for schools. So if you're a senior leader in a private school and you want your daily work to feel less exhausting and more strategic, and if you want once more to feel the joy of making the world a better place through education, then you're in the right place. Welcome, and let's get started on this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode, where I'm really excited to be sharing with you my reflections and takeaways from the annual conference of IDPE. This is the Professional Association for School Fundraisers within the UK. Now we obviously because of the pandemic have not been able to have many in-person conferences recently like everybody else across the world. So this was one of the first times that we've come together in person and this is the first annual conference that we've had in person for the last couple of years and it was on the 21st and 22nd of June in Nottingham and it was absolutely delightful if you were there and I saw you it was fantastic to see you and I was really pleased to know just as a side note um, so many people came up to me and said that the podcast had been really helpful some of them really new to the sector and others really long-standing established figures within development within schools and so I, I was just really really thrilled that people I can see the stats every week so I know people are listening but it's always wonderful to hear firsthand how the podcast has helped people. So thank you so much for your kind, kind feedback on those days in person that we were there. Now I am recording this because we have a bit of a lead time for the audio editing, etc. I'm actually recording this on the Wednesday, immediately after the in-person conference. And so I'm excited for the next two days to be going to the virtual conference, which when you listen to this will have already happened. But I wanted to give you four key takeaways that I have been reflecting on since the, the close of the conference which three of which were not a massive surprise. They're sort of trends, things that have been happening, things, the ways that I think about the sector that 
I think people are increasingly talking about. So those three won't come as massive surprise to you, but it's really interesting to see them and kind of, like really kind of established within the conference. And the final one I'm going to share with you was a complete surprise to me and a really exciting surprise at that. Before we dive into the detail, I wanted to let you know about a free resource I've created to help you prepare your school for the coming economic impact of the invasion of Ukraine. It's a checklist of things you need to think about and take action on now, and it's designed to prompt strategic conversations around the issues that actually matter. You can download your free copy at www.consultjuliet.co.uk slash checklist. Okay, now let's continue with this week's episode. Okay, so let's jump straight into the first of these four key takeaways, reflections that I want to share with you. So this was the fact that we know as fundraisers that when we put our purpose front and centre, both to enable us to work more sustainably and to feel that we are delivering on the values that we live in the rest of our life and when we place those that purpose in front of prospective donors we know that that is when we make the connections with potential donors who are going to give transformational gifts that's not just to bursaries to any project a gift which is going to be really transforming and the impact is going to be really transformational and what I was really thrilled to hear multiple people through the conference talking about the benefits of putting that purpose front and centre. So we started off the conference with an opening plenary by Lord Dr Michael Hastings of Carisbrook, CBE, and those of you who were there will know it was a powerful talk about seeing the world through open eyes, encouraging us to open our eyes and see what is happening and he dwelt mostly on the threats to democracy that we're seeing globally at the moment but all sorts of things were firing through my head with regards to also opening our eyes to the inequality the income inequality within societies the importance of genuine work around EDI and it not being a a sticking plaster but this is a genuine shift in putting that value of fairness equality justice at the center of what we're doing and it really made me feel although he didn't touch on all those topics it reminded me by the end of that talk that is my purpose that is what drives me and we know that when we put that that message around social mobility social justice inclusion um, also environmental sustainability edi these are the social and environmental issues that people care about and so being able to explain to people how your purpose connects through to a value they care about is what we need to be doing in fundraising. Now, we do do this already. We talk about our why and we talk about our purpose and our values, but it was just a very timely reminder that we need to redouble our efforts because this is how we communicate with people. And it's how we encourage people to take that action of making a donation to have the impact that we want our fundraising project to have. And it was really interesting to see from Professor Adrian Sargent, the co-founder and co-director of the Institute for Sustainable Philanthropy, talking about the statistics behind this and talking about actually we can see empirically when we look at the type of ask that charities are making. He's looking at mainstream charities, so not-for-profit, wider not-for-profit sector. There's a correlation. When you put your why 
front and centre in your case for support, that why you're there, that the transformationary impact that you want to have on people, when that is front and centre in your communications, your case for support, fundraising donations go up. And it was fascinating to see some of the charts that he put on the screen and to see that this is both something that we can feel, we know that people respond to us better when we're expressing our values, when we're being really vocal about a point of view on the world and saying this is what we are going to do because we believe it is the right thing to do. We know anecdotally that's how people respond and we also have the evidence to show quantitatively this is what gets people to take that action, to make a donation to your cause. So that was one of the key takeaways for me. We, we've heard it before, we know it already, but it was just a very timely reminder, and especially timely given the economic impact of the cost of living that we're having at the moment. This is not a time to be stepping back and to be cautious. This is a time to put our purpose front and centre and be loud and proud about what we are doing to make a difference in society. So that was the first takeaway. The second takeaway, now, I'm going to be completely honest with you on this one. I think I was hearing what I wanted to hear on this one. So let me know if you didn't pick up on this one. But I felt that there was a trend, a kind of a theme running through some of the presentations, which was about thinking like a leader, not just acting like a leader. And there were a couple of people that that this came through with. So first of all, again, in, in Lord Michael Hastings' his plenary talk, he was talking about some of the top skills that leaders in business have identified. This was uh, data from the World Economic Forum um, in Davos. And analytical, critical and creative thinking all made the top six in terms of skill sets that people need to have. So we need to teach our children these things. We need to teach them how to think in our schools. But also this is about leadership. These are the skills that we need to make time for, cultivate. They cannot happen in the 30 minute crack between two meetings they need to happen within time that you carve out that you protect to do that deep thinking about what it is that you want to be taking the next steps on as a leader it also came through in um, professor Sargent's talk as well thinking about systems thinkers and he was talking about evidence around what makes a great fundraising leader and he was talking about systems thinking as being the ability to look widely at the, the broad context and look well beyond the initial problem that you're looking at to think about what else is involved here in this particular theme or challenge or issue you're thinking about. To identify which pieces of data or anecdotal information within that broader context are useful for this particular decision. And then the ability to make critical choices based on that analysis. That is systems thinking. And I've talked about that before in some of my previous episodes about strategic thinking. Systems thinking is a very key component of strategic thinking. And interestingly, Professor Sargent took it one step further and was saying, we need to do this as a team. We need to be constructing our team conversations and meetings so that we are thinking as a team in a systems thinking mindset. Each of us will have a different context. Each of us may make different choices or select different pieces of data on which to base those choices. When we share not just what we think should happen, but why in a diverse team, that's when we can really elevate the decisions that we're making. And I think the reason it resonated for me as a theme from the, from the conference is because 
this is what is absolutely essential if we're going to be strategic in our leadership as well as good tacticians and tactics are very important but we have to carve out time and sort of mental energy emotional energy and space to think like a leader and that cannot happen unless you are in control of your diary to give yourself time to have that thinking process and have it really robust so I as I said I may have been looking for something specific and I found it in those two talks but I think we are increasing the understanding that actually this is important we have to be able to carve out time for high level really strategic analytical systems thinking the third trend that I identified and this definitely came up in multiple multiple talks was this idea around simplification I think sometimes we feel that as we have more years of experience, we have more uh, more senior positions within our role, in order to demonstrate that depth of knowledge and experience, things need to be complicated. And Becky McKinley, um, Director of External Relations at Moncton Coombe School, shared the idea that she had, I can't remember how many segments she had, but she had over 100 segments for a mailing that she was doing in one of her previous roles. I think that was in the HE sector, she was saying. And the idea that actually that complexity means that you are targeting really specific messages to specific audiences and that's got to be a good thing, right? No, not necessarily. Her advice was simplify it. If you simplify things and don't overcomplicate things, and she was using a framework of, you know, for regular giving or for major gifts, what am I doing now? What am I doing next? And then what do I do with a different time frame for each? This really kind of simple way of being strategic and focused was her advice when we're trying to juggle so many multiple different different kind of streams of work within our, our busy development offices in particular. And that advice was echoed by many other people. So Stephen McAuliffe, Deputy Registrar at the University of Nottingham, was talking about making the boat go faster based on a, a famous book by the same name. And he was talking about his team was being encouraged to think about the behaviours they wanted to adopt and they had five behaviours that they had identified and one of those was simplify and it was when you attempt to simplify that things become possible because you're not overly complicating things you can get all of the important things done because you're doing them simply effectively stripping out any unnecessary complexity Similar to that, Joe Bullock, Director of External Relations for King Edward VI High School for Girls and King Edward School in Birmingham, was talking about their tune-up project, so um, an art project that in the community they started during lockdown. And she mentioned that they started out with loads of ideas, which is always important. We know from a strategic thinking point of view that divergent thinking stage, having lots of ideas is really important. And then she talked about how they simplified it down to three strands that they had. And they had the the, the benefit of beautiful branding around each of those three strands were a standout name for each and then a a sense of common branding across them that gave it a sense of of completeness, of, of togetherness for the three strands. But it was when they simplified that actually things started to come into place and they realized what they were going to be able to achieve with the amount of time and budget, which was very constrained, that they had available to them but they had significant impact because they kept it simple and I talked about this a little bit as well in in my the art of saying no session and again I'm going to be talking about it as well in the strategy session I'm doing in the virtual conference 
you have to simplify and focus what you're trying to do to have an impact. And when you can simplify, you know, you have you have three strategic priorities. Keep it simple. So I loved that theme coming through a number of the talks that we were attending in the in-person sessions. So that's the third theme, simplify. So, so far we've had put your purpose front and centre, thinking like a leader and simplify. And these are things that I've talked about before that I'll probably talk about again, but I was delighted to see come up in the conference. This fourth and final one I'm going to mention to you now was around in-memory giving. Kind of linked at least a little bit to, to legacy giving. Now this really surprised me and fascinated me. And this is not something, the specifically the in-memory element of this is not something that I'd really thought about or particularly known much about before the talk that I went to. So I was really interested to go to a talk with Emily Grint, who's the in-memory consultant, and Claire Routley, the head of gifts in Will's consultant, both from Legacy Voice. And they were talking about the massive predicted growth in legacy and in-memory giving that we're going to be seeing over the next couple of decades and how it's so important that schools are thinking about this. Now, I'd known this from legacies, but interestingly, even though I know that a lot of schools are doing legacy activity, legacy programmes, in the benchmarking talk that I that attended kind of just a couple of hours beforehand, roughly only about half of the schools, and I forgot to write down the stats, I'll have to look them up, but roughly around half-ish of the schools that were surveyed for the benchmarking have a legacy society. Now, I'm sure the others are probably doing some legacy work. I hope so. Anyway, but maybe don't have a society around it. And I know sometimes people aren't massive fans of legacy societies, but I I love them. I think they're brilliant. They give you a structure for not just encouraging people to, to pledge a legacy and become a legator, but actually to get them to keep you in their legacy, in their will. So to, that kind of stewardship during life element of legacies is really helpful when you've got a society. So there's a huge opportunity if you don't have a legacy society to go that direction. But what really blew me away was when they were talking about the stats around in-memory giving. Now, this is, just to be really clear, this is when someone has died and a donation is made, but the donation doesn't come from the deceased person's will. It comes from someone who is living, who gives a donation in memory of, in the name of, the person who has died. So it's a memorialising them through a gift from someone who is still living. And in-memory giving has grown 2.8% per year across all charity types. And in particular, there's a segment within in-memory giving, which is growing at a much faster rate. So there's something called the loved-in-life gifts. Now, this is, I've never even heard of this rate, but this is when a living donor gives a donation to a charity that has a strong connection with the things that the person who has died loved during their lifetime. So it might be a charity that they specifically supported during their lifetime, or it might be to an organisation that has a strong affinity with something that they loved during their lifetime. And that particular type of in-memory giving to loved-in-life charities, as they're known, has grown 43% over the last two years. That's substantial. That's really substantial. And Emily and Claire mentioned in their presentation that they hadn't been able to find an example of a school in the UK with an in-memory web page, specifically about in-memory giving. Now, I haven't seen one either. That's not to say there wasn't one out there. If you've got one, do tell me, let me know. I'll have a look at it. I'd love to see it. But I do think that most schools certainly do not have 
a web page around how people can give in memory of someone who has died. It might be a, a beloved teacher or a school friend. And I think there's a real opportunity here for schools fundraising teams to think about how do we communicate the opportunities to give in memory. That might be a web page, it's a good place to start with a web page. Other things you might be thinking about. So in amongst the obituaries within your magazine, your publication, thinking about opportunities for memorialization as well. Most schools have got a bench with a, a plaque on it to someone who's died in the past. But there are increasingly creative ways of doing temporary memorialization. So this is things like when people go for sponsored runs and they have um, a message on their t-shirt which is memorializing or in memory of a particular person. Often someone who's died um, from the medical condition that you're fundraising for, that's kind of the traditional way of doing it. That you can have, you know, um, signs attached to backpacks for days. You could do all sorts of different things where um, alumni, parents are are thinking about how can we temporarily memorialise someone who's really important to us, perhaps at an alumni event for a, a beloved teacher who's passed away or something like that. Don't always have all the answers for you here because this is something quite new to me, but this specific niche of loved in life charities encouraging in-memory giving, seeing a substantial growth, I think just tells me that we don't want to be just having a legacy society and then stopping there in memory giving and legacy giving is a massive growth area and so having a constant sense of what the opportunities are and the changing kind of shifts and opportunities in in this area is really really important so those are my four themes that i wanted to share with you as takeaways from the in-person part of the idp conference and i want to leave you with one final word And it harks back to that first trend of putting your purpose front and centre. And I was talking very briefly to Lord Hastings um, after the leadership lunch, which he did on the Monday. And I I was really struck by his final words to me. I I said, you know, thank you very much for for coming here and for the messages. And we talked briefly about those. And his parting word was, that's why we're here. We're here to make a difference. And that really struck a chord with me. And I think... All of us sometimes within education, we can be buffeted around by the day-to-day kind of firefighting and all of the length of our to-do list and the busyness of of working within schools. But at the end of the day, we're here to make a difference. That's why we're here. And so knowing that not only are the teachers within our school communities making that difference to those young people, but within the fundraising, within the leadership of our schools, we are constantly here to make a difference. And so that is what we're doing within our development offices as well. Lovely to talk to you again this week. I'd love to hear your takeaways, your thoughts and feedback um, from the conference. It's always a delight to see people in person. I'm sure the virtual conference will be as good as well. Let me know what you think. What were the things that you took away from the IDP conference this year? I'd love to hear from you. That's it for me this time. I'll talk to you again next week. Bye bye then. Thanks for listening to the Independent School Podcast, the podcast that helps senior leaders in private schools to think and act more strategically, both because they want to secure the future of their school and because they want to help build a more equal and just world. You can listen in everywhere that podcasts are available. And if you want to catch up on previous episodes or follow any of the links that I've mentioned today, just head over to www.consultjuliet.com dot co dot uk slash podcast.